advocacy is uh, one of the most important tools that you need in order to get things done. Um, and that's with any kind of category or topic, but especially um, when it comes to education. Being an advocate, advocating for education, all it really is is just you bringing your voice and your story and presenting it to to lawmakers who are going to make decisions that are going to impact your kids, impact our schools and our families. And um, it's pretty remarkable the things that advocates can do and can accomplish. We have today a, a really amazing mom. And that's what she is. She's a mom who has three kids, one of them with um, very severe special needs. And she's just a regular person who has turned into a, um, an advocate, a firestorm. She uh, does not stop until her kids uh, get what they need. And we are so proud to have someone like her with that fire fighting for the ESA program, the Education Scholarship Account Program. It's Indiana's newest school choice program, and um, it allows you to really truly customize an education around a child. For the first time, um, Indiana has this opportunity before um, our school choice programs. It's like you get this program to pay for this or that, and that's it. There, there's, there's no going around it. But this ESA, it allows families and schools and service providers all to come together to build an education around a child. So it's customized specifically for them. And we understand and know that each child is different. And um, every child has unique needs, especially when it comes to our special needs community. And uh, we're very excited to have Erica on to, to show the impact of advocacy, what it can do and then also tell us about how, you know, special and remarkable this program that she's been using, how it's really made a difference for her, her family, and for her child. This is Education Matters with My School Options. Today, we have Erica Hunt with us. Erica, welcome to Education Matters. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Stressed and blessed, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> As most of us, right, that our parents go through. Tell us a little bit about where you're from. Well, I'm homegrown in, in Indiana, Elkhart, Indiana currently. Started up in the Granger area, and so I haven't migrated too far from uh, where my life's journey began. Yeah, so right around the South Bend, Indiana area, huh? Yeah, go, go Irish, right? That's right. It, it is. It is Irish country. I, I say that that is very much ingrained in the culture of that, that whole region, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Right. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your family. Well, we're a family of five. Um, okay. We have two boys and then we have our precious little Ella. Um, and then Dan and I, we've been married for 26 years. Or I should say he's been tolerating me for that long. And uh, I've been expanding his horizons for 26 years. How's that sound? <laughs> oh, it, it is quite a journey, right? Um, and so you have four be three beautiful children, uh, two boys and Ella. Uh, can you tell us uh, about uh, your oldest boys and Ella's unique situation? Yeah. You know what? Siblings of special needs kids, they are rock stars. Um, yeah. 
there's a little bit of a gap between our middle and all of six years. And so probably different dynamics than a lot of families that have their children back to back. But also on the flip side, we are balancing um, a lot of what we call typical activities of very active boys and a special needs, um, special needs child. Um, both of them are actually wanting to pursue medicine because of the experience that they've had with their sister. Mm-hmm. And I've always, I've always asked myself, you know, being a sibling of a special needs, um, a sister or brother is, is there going to come a time in their life where they actually resent the journey and resist it or do they, they become better and what kind of a legacy are they going to live, you know? And it's been neat as the boys have grown up, you know, they're both starting to, uh, get ready to graduate, go to college. And it's been just so neat to see that they're not choosing that, that path of resistance or resentment. And they just mm-hmm. um, just really embrace the journey and they're a part of it. They're a part of our story. We are a team. That's kind of the philosophy we've always presented. And, and yeah, it's been, it's been super cool. You know, uh, siblings yeah. of, of special needs kids sacrifice a lot, a lot, a lot more than people realize. And so, yeah, it's just been quite interesting to, to be on the sidelines, just watching the relationships blossom between them. You know, as you uh, as you as you explained uh, your situation, it reminded very much mine. Um, I also have a special needs child, and uh, I have uh, other children, uh, four other children uh, in particular, three younger. And there is an age gap right around the same as yours. And I often wonder the same things as well about their experience, about their life going forward, about how they will view this very unique experience. But like your family, our family also uh, views it as a team effort and something that we uh, do together and with a lot of love. So I I totally do understand um, the perspective and and try to be mindful of uh, my other children and their experiences and what I offer and what we offer as a family so that love stands above all. But thank you for sharing that. So tell me, um, what led your family to explore private school as an alternative? You know, that's, it's interesting how that kind of worked out. You know, we're, we're a faith, faith driven family. And so as Noah, our oldest started to, to wander into, um, you know, for being four years old in preschool, we just started to really ask ourselves what was the right fit for our family in education. And after just a lot of prayer and just seeking wisdom, we started our journey in the private school sector just simply because we we wanted a God centered home, um, you know, God centered God centered home and God centered education. And so for for us, that was a priority. Now. What transition following that was actually rather mind blowing because we knew when we went into the private school sector, we were not a family that's rolling in a lot of cash. And so we knew that going into the private school and at that time there was no choice um, education that there would be sacrifices that we maybe had to make, even if it came down to selling vehicles or getting extra jobs. Um, because at that point in time, that just the focus of a God centered education was was very important to us. And 
little did we know that, and we knew it was going to be year to year. You know, we knew if we could afford it, we'd keep moving forward. And if we had to, to go a different route, we would. And, and so when our daughter Ella's diagnosis came, Noah was in third grade at the time. And, and, you know, her, her diagnosis is terminal. And they told us we had six weeks left, you know, with her. And at the time she was about five months old and that was the initial, you know, go home and, and love her and she will pass in your arms or pass in her sleep. And, and so you can only imagine just the shock of uh, shock of it all. And it was kind of at that point in time that we recognized that we would probably never at this, at least in the short term, be able to pull those boys from their community because they needed those familiar people and friends and a support system. And it made us nervous just because we didn't know financially if we were going to be able to continue um, with all of the medical bills coming up and things to keep them in school. But we felt so strongly about it because we're like, this is not the time to pull them from an environment that's comforting them. And as they prepare to bury their sister. And so that's that was about the time that school choice actually came on the scene and was able to help us. So it kind of worked out interestingly. And so uh, tell us about Ella's educational experience. Did she go into the traditional public school or did she also go in or did she also attend private school? Yeah, just to piggyback on that then when um, we had such a wonderful experience in the private school that we wanted Ella to be able to have an equal experience in her education. And so we started out very early contacting the school and giving them our vision. Because um, as as many of you realize, a lot of private schools just aren't equipped, especially for someone as complex as Ella's needs are. Um, and so we kind of started that conversation way back when she was three years old saying, you know, our, our goal is to get her to have the same education and be around that same community as her brothers. And we really wanted that, um, I guess, traditional educational track for her at that time. And so it, it, it worked out. We ended up working it out. And she actually did end up tending, attending um, the same private school for almost five years, from two years of preschool and then three years, actually one year of preschool and then uh, four years up to third grade um, at the private school. But then we started hitting some speed bumps and realizing that you know, even this really wasn't going to be an option. And and let mm-hmm. me preface too, she actually started out preschool um, in the public school education. We actually went to the program with our local public school and that became apparent right away that that was not going to be the right fit for her. Mm-hmm. So there were some challenges in, in, in the private school setting that were not giving her the services that you felt she needed? You know, the school was amazing at doing what they could you know, they were incredible. I have to give them kudos in that. But I had mentioned also previously that we wanted her to have that traditional experience. But once it actually came down to it, you know, Ella does not, she does not have and nothing standard about her life. You know, she's, um, she's on what I guess medicine would call borrowed time, right? They told us that she would only live six weeks. She would never see her first Easter. And here now, you know, we're sitting here with a 12-year-old, almost 13, 100% tween ager, as she likes to call herself. Um, and so here we're on this on this borrowed time. And so it's like we got to a point when we 
and the, and the school was just they absolutely did their best and they were over the top accommodating to her needs they allowed a para to come into the home two or three days a week they allowed her to go into the school two or three days a week we really had it was really a beautiful thing until we hit the third grade and then testing became an issue <laughs> and her keeping up in the classroom and and you know ella has to use an eye gaze device um and so she was really learning two languages, right? She was learning her eye gaze language, and then she was learning the language of how to be a student in a traditional school setting. And so it just became obvious that homework assignments were taking way too long in the evenings, and just doing the the work in the classroom was taking way too long. And there weren't a whole lot of solutions because she was trying to run on this standardized timeline or track. And she just, it didn't fit anymore. It just didn't fit. And I had somebody say to me, and it, it's what helped us to redefine her education was that nothing is standard about our children. You know, their daily cares, how much it takes to get them ready and get them moving for the day, just those basic cares, but also their, their lifeline, you know, the fact that they're on borrowed time and, and, and are we really going to be excited for her to push through getting up at 5 a.m. to try to get to school by 8.15, to come home at 3, to have to do her therapies, to have to get her shower, her bathing. We had extra precautions for in, um, infection control we had to take with wiping things down and then starting her her night care and then finally at 9 p.m. doing her homework. And it's like, are we really going to say when she crosses, you know, that finish line and goes across that stage for that diploma that it was really worth it? And mm -hmm. that got me really thinking that she's not getting any, you know, it's like we're trying to squeeze her into a box that she doesn't fit into, even though the school was so accommodating and they were working with us and they really did their best. It's just that that traditional standard timeline wasn't the right fit for Ella. And when you live in a scenario of a terminally ill child, you know, you have to ask yourself where you're putting your energy and where you're putting your time. And we really felt mm -hmm. like Ella needed more flexibility. We needed the ability to accommodate her physical needs because we were trying to force her physical, um, her physically into a world that wasn't accommodating for her. I don't know if I'm making sense with that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I understand yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, it just wasn't a fit for her any longer. Um, oh. and her condition, you know, it, it wasn't viable there at the, at the school. Right. Um, and so, um, tell me, tell me what went through your mind as you made the decision, uh, to withdraw Ella from the private school. Uh, and transition to homeschooling. It was horrific. It was hard. Because remember, I said that we had this this vision of her going to school with her brothers and that seeing each other in the hallways. And and we believed, too, that Ella going into the public or to the private school, um, she had an opportunity to teach a whole nother generation on how to embrace and love children with special needs. And, and kids in private schools maybe aren't getting that exposure much because there's not a huge population of kids. And, and we already had seen that for years, you know, kids um, learning to adapt and think outside the box. And, you know, kids would choose who got to be the door holders to get her in her wheelchair through. And, and we just really wanted to be a part of that um, legacy. And so 
and just losing the social side of things. Ella is extremely social and for her school, um, that was her only social connection to her peers. And it was, it was really hard. It was really, really hard. And, um, we just had to kind of just make that decision and, and gosh, I cried, man, I cried over that. I cried for months over that. But God is good. And, you know, we now, um, at the time, the ESA program was not available. Um, and so we kind of just jumped in with two feet trying to solve the educational crisis that was happening in our own home. And then when ESA came, it was like manna from heaven, I tell you. <laughs> I was just like, we could do what? <laughs> we could do, you know, like it was, yeah, it's just been a life changer. It, and tell me, Erica, how did you come across the ESA program? You know, our good old trusty medical mamas in the community, you know, we're all pretty tight. And there was one in the area that came across it and said, I think this is actually a really good fit because um, they struggled with the same things Word in their household. Yeah. Yeah. Having their child be as complex as Ella and struggling to get her into the building, you know, getting into a physical building was um, it was just proving to be very, 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 very difficult. IEPs were difficult. Um, even in our case, ISPs, like I recall one of the defining factors for us moving her off of um, being in the private school was when the testing issues came up and the accommodations and all these things we had to go through. And, you know, the the requirements the state had set wouldn't even allow Ella to take the test with her parent present because she wasn't a teacher, but yet the teacher couldn't understand her language and, and just just hitting a lot of those walls. The other families were hitting them too. And so when they found the ESA, it was, um, at that point in time, we had already been trying to pay out a pocket for a teacher to come into the home and try to just self-manage it, um, which was financially killing us. It's very expensive. Education can be yeah. very expensive. And yeah. Um, and then you take on the medical needs. And as you mentioned, right, all the medical bills and, um, and the fact that you have other children as well, yeah. right? Um, make it very difficult. Um, and so uh, how has the ESA specifically contributed uh, or impacted Ella's education experience? What has it done? You know what? I, I don't even want to know what her educational experience would look like right now without the ESA because I I feel like it probably wouldn't even be there. And, you know, the reason I say that is because Short of a, a year or so after we made the decision to pull her from private school and just try this homeschool, because um, keep in mind, once we pulled her from the private school and it was just me, myself and I, and then trying to hire a side teacher, I became I became a teacher. I was already the nurse. Right. Right. Which is funny because when I graduated high school, I didn't know what I wanted to be. But there were two things I knew I didn't want to be. And one was a teacher and the other one was a nurse. <laughs> I found myself, you know, every day trying to balance being a teacher, which I had no idea how to be, and already being a nurse that I just kind of became, you know, just uh, naturally. Very difficult. Yes. And so um, I apologize. These are back to the, what was the question again? How has the program specifically contributed to uh, or impacted Ella's education experience? Yes. What has it done for her? Yeah. yeah. And so what I what I go back to is just thinking about, um, the challenges that we did have when she was in private school was, you know, all of her medical appointments and having to go, we go two states away for care. And so she would miss days on days at a time or when she wasn't well or she was sick, 
she would miss days. And so there was so much pressure for us to perform to <laughs> their standards and their traditional timelines. And, and the pressure then became our pressure because Ella can't do anything for herself, right? So essentially it became us. And we're a big family on allowing Ella to be the one that leads and, and is in charge of her education. And, and, and the current program we have, I, and I say this word and people always are like, whoa, that's a big word to use. But truly, Ella is living her best educational utopia right now. And this program is the design of it, the freedom, the flexibility. You know, we have moments, you know, where she just cannot get on for school on certain days for mm -hmm. one reason or another. We've had situations where our teacher's not been able to come into the home due to either illness in our home or illness in her home, and we're still able to give her her education. And on mm -hmm. top of that, we've been able to slow the pace down. And instead of doing a lot of the busy work, we've been able to zero in on her eye gaze device and seeing how can she use that 100% independently for her education. And because mm -hmm. we don't have all the extra, you know, um, when we're in the school, it's like we're we're on their time time, their freight, their time frame, their timetable, and there's all these things we have to accomplish and get done. And we we can cut all that out and just focus on what she needs to give her the independence to be able to be her best educationally. What does a day in Ella's education experience look like? Well, I will tell you, when we first pulled her out of the private school, we had a very strong um, desire to give because we were pulling out the social side as well, mm -hmm. right? Um, not only was she she losing some of the educational side of things from the private school, but she was also losing those social connections. And so we made sure that we we just right away said, you know what, we're going to customize this, the, your schooling to be the core. We were going back to just her core subjects. And so we did cut out a lot of the things that um, we knew that we could handle over the summer months. And we focused specifically on, you know, her math and her language arts and, and uh, able to look at where she's at on the timetable of things and where she needs to be. But we allowed her Mondays and Fridays, we called her Ella days. And those were days for her to choose what she wanted to do. If she wanted to go out and get her butterfly net and go walk the neighborhood and hunt butterflies or just take a walk or go to the park or if she wanted to go walk the mall or go, she loves going through drive throughs And so um, to get Frosties at Wendy's, those kind of things, we would just allow her a couple hours every day, Monday and Friday to fill that internal need for her to connect with her community. And then we just really honed in on that Tuesday through Thursday. Um, now since, and we still kind of adapted to that with, with the ESA program, um, we have a teacher that does actually come into the home and she does 10 to 12 hours weekly with Ella and it'll be, you know, like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then we have one day that we just are able to get her shower and get her medical needs done. And then she has kind of a down day, you know, on Thursday. And mm -hmm. so we've just been able to accommodate and we're not as tired, right? We're mm -hmm. parents, like we're able to, to actually breathe a little and enjoy this educational journey as well. Yeah. And, and, and how has the program uh, impacted your family dynamics, stress levels, and all that comes with being a parent of a, of a special needs child and, and then have to put education on top of it? Oh, it's completely changed my stress level. <laughs> like, so, so. You know, because I've been able to build a team that, that works for her, you know, and I, I've been able to hand over the reins to a professional that knows their job 
and educationally can help. And, and it's been really neat. We did have a setback um, two years ago. Ella ended up having a surgery that went the wrong direction and um, a spinal surgery. And she actually ended up becoming paralyzed on top of everything else. And, and it was, it was a un- very unfortunate situation. And so she had some of her mental capacity and like her math and she went very backwards. And so we actually, um, as soon as the ESA program started, then first thing we did is we did our own um, testing that was appropriate for Ella and determined that she definitely needed to go back. And I thought, what would we have done if we were in the still in the private schools, you know, sector, because she would be going into fourth grade or fifth grade at that time. And we had to go back to basic single digit addition. Mm-hmm. And because we are on the ESA program, we could do that. So she was still doing really well in reading and comprehension, but she really struggled on the math. So we've taken the last two years, and I'm really excited to tell you that she is doing the three-digit addition, subtraction. She's moving into division now, and she was wow. working. She was killing it on fractions the other day, and and I just it makes me so proud of her and um. And yeah, it's been cool. So we've been able to totally customize what her needs are. Um, She just recently, and the thing too, that's been really great about this program is um, she's been able to do like real time activities. And so like uh, we have a situation going on in in the state capitol that could affect some of her care opportunities. And, And Ella wanted to have a voice in that. And so the teacher was able to take what we're doing and apply it to a homework assignment. And so she actually had Ella write her own letter uh, to legislators, and she showed her how to email that to do the uh, the comments so that her voice can be heard. She also encouraged us to take a field trip to actually go visit with our legislators. And so she learned about law and the processes and went to the Capitol building. And I just am blown away by that, you know, because for the first time, Ella felt like her voice was heard, not her mom's. Mm-hmm. And advocating. Mm-hmm. And I I just love that ESA is affording us the opportunity to be able to pour into her that way. And when, you know, education for us, we've learned, is it's not a box that we all can fit in. It's It's not a one size fits all. And the educational scholarship has allowed us to round the edges of that box, so to speak, and find the places that Ella fits in giving her her best education and way that she can impact her community. And it's a hundred percent doing that. That's awesome. That that is an incredible opportunity for her and for your family to customize her education and really focus on her needs and, and also uh quality of life, which is very important for her. And so that that is incredible that the that the ESA program is offering your family all those tools and opportunities. You described a little bit or you talked a little bit about uh, the ESA being an educational utopia. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on what makes it? uh, And I know you've already have, but any other thoughts on um, what makes it so ideal or how it has contributed uh, to Ella's uh, eagerness to learn every day? Yes. I mean, if I had to go down and just do your traditional, you know, list of things is first and foremost, it has given us the control 
to determine what's best for her. And so we don't feel like we're having to fight against other individuals. And I hate even to use the word fight because I don't feel like that's even a word that should be associated with education. But um, I just think at times, you know, mama does know best, right? We know our children and we know what they need and we know the direction they need to head. And there just seems to sometimes be resistance to the powers that be that seem to think they have the, the correct idea, even though they are not intimately involved with the child like the parents are. And so it's allowed our family to to sit down and actually have conversations around a table with an educator that says, well, this is what I'm seeing. This is where I see she's struggling. And, and maybe we can try this and we can customize that program. And so it's just given us more control to see what's a better fit. And um, that's probably number one, which I think is really important. That has reduced my stress as a caregiver. And I, I keep going back to this fitting in a box scenario, but it is so difficult because our families, and I know you can appreciate this because of yours, we somehow are circle pegs that have to fit in a square world sure. just in our everyday life, right? We just, we don't fit, going to a restaurant is never easy. Our, our kids don't fit at a table. You know, we, we nothing is easy. Nothing. You know, I was nothing I talked the other day about taking her ice skating once and and they wouldn't, you know, I called ahead to make sure she could go. And we did. We got her out on the ice with her chair and we were told she had to leave, you know, you know, and it's like, mm -hmm. OK, mm -hmm. so we're trying to fit in your world. We're trying to give her the best life and our family have that best life. But it is all the time, you know, just getting our lawn mode is difficult. Getting our groceries every week is difficult. Yes. And so education should not be difficult. And and the utopia I describe is that it it's taken off some of that pressure to perform in a way that someone else dictates the way it should be. And we don't have that anymore because we get to be the ones that sit back and decide. And she's flourishing. You know, she's growing. She's eager to learn. She's excited. She's she's doing very hands-on tactile life learning. And having those experiences and, and, you know, so that, that in itself, just the stress level on me, the, the fact that we have the opportunity to control the education, but, you know, first and foremost is that it's letting Ella live and, and she's allowed to live her life and her education is just kind of, um, intertwining with her life right now. And if you, you just think of a, a core, you know, uh, that braid, a braid, right? Like I look at education right now for Ella, it just naturally is flowing together with her physical needs and the challenges that she has and having those be met, but also being able to get the education she needs, but also the flexibility to understand there are just days we're not going to be able to do this. It's just not mm -hmm. going to work today and it's okay. Or we're having trouble in this subject. We need to stay here longer and it's okay. Or we're going to pivot. Guess what? You're going to the Capitol building this Monday. And you're going to learn about a law and you're going to meet legislators and you're going to have like we have that fluid opportunity to customize. And it has just it, her teacher. It's like I think she's in tears every day she comes because she's so grateful for this opportunity she's been given to individually impact this child's life. And so, yeah, I, I could probably keep going on that whole utopia list. No, no, no. Yeah, no. Thank you for sharing. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, it, I see how much it has empowered you um, and how that's tr transitioned over to your family. Right. And and, and, and it, it seems like Ella is also experiencing that empowerment is and is also now empowered to do for self and, and learn and is eager to learn. 
which is what, as you mentioned, Ryan, education should not be difficult, right? Uh, it should be a tool for betterment. It should be uh, a tool for empowerment, right? Um, and so um, that's why programs like the ESA were created uh, to give families another option on how to educate their children. Um, and so uh, I'm glad that your family um, is thriving um, and that you guys are taking full advantage of um, those programs that the state of Indiana offers for our residents. Uh, so, Erica, you're an incredible advocate. Um, and, um, and, and so tell me, uh, as an advocate for expanding uh, ESA for all kids uh, in our state, uh, what are key reasons and experiences that drive your passion uh, for giving other families access to school options or to learn about these programs? So just in reference to, and you've heard me mention this on multiple occasions, is that there's this traditional box and there's just kind of these set expectations. And it, and I think that every child is going to be different, right? And so every child is going to be different needs and every some children are going to need to back up on on certain subjects and topics, and they can't just keep running at the same pace as everyone. And I think that there are kids that don't fit the traditional education box. And there are those that will. And And I want to stress that families like mine who advocate strongly for programs like ESA and Choice, we're not, we're not trying to um, take the public school down and make a public school non-existent. That's not what we're saying because there are going to be families that that public school setting and what their school offers may be perfect for them. But to assume that every family is going to fit a certain mold educationally, I think that's dangerous, right? And I think there are just, we, we need to be able to allow our kids to say, you know, and, and I don't know enough history about public education, but that's not the way education's always been. You know, there was a time where parents did get to choose, you know, what the educational system looked like for their children. And at some point in time, we we divulged into having this more traditional setting with this, this you know, a set of expectations. And I think we need to ask ourselves, why? Why did we head that route? Why do we collectively believe that every child should be in this type of setting to be educated this way and that it's going to work for everybody? I think we should be asking ourselves that. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and especially now as you know, our kids are you know, and and technology, our kids are changing. Technology is changing. The way that the world interacts is changing. We need to look at education as a vehicle for customization and an opportunity to really place our kids in the best environment for them. That's the work that the Institute for Quality Education also fights for every day. We believe that uh, every child is unique and every child is different. And as such, their learning environment should reflect that. Um, we also believe that families should have a say-so in the education of their children. Uh, you know, you said earlier, you know, a, a parent knows their child best, right? And, and and that's absolutely true. And I truly believe that. I often reflect back on going to the doctor, right, with my with my uh, with my child when she was going through um, 
you know, uh, 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 episodes of seizures every day, right? Hundreds of ep- hundreds of seizures. And, uh, you know, the first thing that the doctors would do is ask me questions, right? They would, they would look at me and, and, and expect me to speak for that child, right? And as such, uh, we should be empowered um, to also uh, advocate when it comes to the education and, and, and the opportunities to have our children succeed and accomplish their dreams. And so um, that is very important and, and, a, and a key part of the work that the Institute for Quality Education uh, uh, fights for is um, not only uh, giving families those options and making sure there's, there's options available uh, so that each child can have the best environment, but also empowering families to have a voice and education. Because it is uh, such a difficult subject, and it could be very complicated to understand, uh, a lot of families choose to not advocate or choose not to really understand how to best effectively use this tool. So I appreciate everything you do, Erica, to advocate for your children and for your community. Uh, what advice would you give parents or students uh, navigating the education system today, specifically considering all the different types of school options as we're talking about? Which I'm actually really very excited to, um, to learn just in my, my, my own education on seeing some of the trends in education. It's been very encouraging to learn more about some of these micro schools that are coming up, the charter school options. Um, gosh, the you know the at home learning, the online learning, like that's so exciting to me because I know it specifically like with Ella, I find it ironic she can't move any part of her body any longer, but she's a kinesthetic learner, which is so so funny to me because she can't move anything, but she just loves that sensory and that touch, and that's part of of her education. And you know when we had to be in a situation where she had to go to school online because of the cold and flu season. She was totally missing that part of what was allowing. We were inhibiting her ability to learn because she couldn't she couldn't use that tool that she needed. And so I would tell parents that, you know, pay attention to your child and, and really just because a lot of times I, I believe that we send them off to school and we assume that they are getting fed educationally um, in the way that's best for them. But then I think the more we turn out over stones and we look and we recognize that gosh, maybe that's not the right fit for them. And and what is the right fit in learning their educational model and what how they learn best. And so you, we might find that some of these other school options are a better fit for them and helping them to grow. And the other thing is lean on your community. I, hands down, I know I'm going in trouble for saying this, but I will trust even medical advice from some of my medical mamas first and foremost before I go to a doctor because they are living it, right? And so if I have trouble with my child, my first phone call is going to be another medical mama saying, I'm going through this. Can you help me problem solve and and think through, am I missing something? Is there, Mm -hmm. and I just did it this morning with another medical mama. She's having trouble with her daughter. We're like, has anything changed? And we all these different things we have to go through. And so reach out to families that are involved in maybe some of these micro schools or that are using some of these other different non-traditional type schooling, which I believe that what we deem as traditional is shifting. And I think in the years to come, I think that definition of what traditional, I think that 
right now the public school education is deemed as traditional but i think in time which i am hoping is that it'll just become an option for parents just like all these other options but we have to be able to get past and get over that hurdle of of that out of the box thinking that you know sometimes is often capped and get into thinking a little bit more non-traditional in education so ask a lot of questions do your research um go to you know organizations such as yours you guys are, are tremendous advocates and giving a wealth of resource and information so that people can become empowered to make the best decision for their children and for their families as a whole last question here to wrap us up for the afternoon here uh erica what message would you like to convey to policymakers and the public about the importance of school choice particularly for families with unique educational needs like yours Oh, want to talk about my uh, legislative utopia? (laughs) (laughs) You got to get in the trenches with us, you guys. You've got you got to bring us to the table. You know, it's I I highly uh, I highly recommend that decisions aren't made at the top without concurring with the people at the bottom. You know, and are we doing impact studies? Are we really asking those hard questions, you know, before and stop making assumptions, right? You know, get in the space of the people who are doing this life and how can you come alongside and support them? And, and there, there's a buzz phrase I often hear. It's not often employed, but wrap around services, wrapping services around the needs of a family, you know, and we need to be doing that medically, but we also need to be doing that educationally. And so as a legislator, um, are the decisions you are making really wrapping services around families to make sure that they are given the opportunity to uh, live their best life and be the most productive for their communities, you know, as a whole. Any other thoughts you want to leave us with, Erica? No, I think you're amazing, and um, I want to encourage you and everybody who's on the team to to keep believing on what you're doing and, and know there's a grassroots effort behind you that 110% supports you. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for joining us today, and this is why education matters. And that's why education matters. If you like what you heard today, make sure you hit subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends, and help us get the word out about school choice and all the options available here in the state of Indiana.